Hello, and welcome to Grain Insight, a CN update on getting your grain to market. I'm Stacy McCracken, and joining me is David Shednovic, Director of Sales and Marketing. David, with CN turning 100 this year, let's open the history books and look at a key piece of the CN network of today, the Grand Trunk Pacific. Thanks, Stacy. The American-born Charles Melville Hayes was with the Grand Trunk Railway in eastern Canada in the early 1900s. Hayes announced in 1902 that the Grand Trunk planned to build a rail line from North Bay, Ontario to Prince Rupert, B.C. for use as a land bridge between Britain and Asia. Part of that line, namely the Grand Trunk Pacific, is now the current CN Main Line from Portage to Rivers, Manitoba, Melville, Saskatoon, and Bigger, Saskatchewan, Wainwright, Edmonton, and Jasper in Alberta, and finally Prince George and then Prince Rupert in B.C., Interestingly, over long sections of the main line, the stations located every seven miles have names that ascend in alphabetical order. Some of these alphabet stations are places where elevators or plants have been built in recent years, including Bloom, Knox, Oakner, Clavette, Oban, Unity, etc. What are the main points of the deal between the Grand Trunk Pacific and the Government of Canada? Well, after considerable back and forth, Prime Minister Laurier signed an agreement with the Grand Trunk Pacific in July 1903, after which details of a much more ambitious plan were disclosed for a transcontinental railway. The line of rail was to be built in five sections, eastern, Quebec, woodland, prairie, and mountain, from Moncton, New Brunswick to Quebec City, Winnipeg, Edmonton, and Dunvegan, with the end point on the Pacific coast yet to be determined. The Government of Canada would build the eastern section, which was also known as the National Transcontinental Railway, up to Winnipeg, and the Grand Trunk Pacific would build from Winnipeg to the west coast, with the Grand Trunk Pacific leasing and operating the eastern portion. The government guaranteed the principal and interest of bonds issued by the company, covering up to 75% of the amount of construction in each region, but the principal amount was not to exceed $13,000 per mile in the Prairie section and $30,000 per mile in the Mountain section. What was unique about the engineering of the Grand Trunk Pacific? Well, the line ran for 1,758 miles, had 34 steel and concrete bridges, 13 tunnels amounting to 9,000 feet, and it had 80-pound rail, which was very heavy at the time versus other roads in North America. Most critical, though, was Hayes' insistence that the road have minimal grade and curves. Max grade was to be one quarter of 1%, representing a max rise of 21 feet per mile, and max curvature was to be 4 degrees, which was also very generous. Final max grade ended up being 4 tenths of 1% going east and 5 tenths of 1% going west. Other transcontinentals at the time had grade of up to 4%, or over 200 feet of rise per mile. This grade advantage gave the Grand Trunk Pacific a big edge in pulling power versus other transcontinentals at the time. A freight train on the Grand Trunk Pacific could carry seven times as heavy a load as on the Canadian Pacific and five times more than a freight train on the Santa Fe Railroad in the U.S. Interesting. Can you talk a bit more about Prince Rupert and how it came to be? Well, Kane Island, which is the present site of Prince Rupert, was selected as the western endpoint of the railroad. Even then, Hayes saw the shorter sailing time from Asia to Rupert as advantageous versus Vancouver and Point South. The port was also deep and ice-free. Originally, though, an error in admiralty charts made people think that the harbour would be useless due to a large obstruction in the way, but Hayes had it resurveyed and the error was corrected. A contest was sponsored by the Grand Trunk Pacific to name the western endpoint of the road, with the name to be no longer than ten letters or three syllables. Prince Rupert was the first governor of the Hudson's Bay Company, and that name was suggested by a Winnipegger 
who received a $250 prize for her efforts. Hmm. So what became of Hayes? Hayes was returning from Britain in April 1912, where he had been securing additional financing for the railway and was on board the Titanic when it sank. Hayes realized Prince Rupert would be closer to Asia by ocean than any other Pacific port in North America. He envisioned a new silk route, the fastest end-to-end route for shipping time-sensitive goods between Asia and North America. Although he didn't live to see it, a century later, Prince Rupert has realized his vision and has become North America's fastest-growing gateway for Asian-North American trade. Thanks for your time, David. And thanks for listening to Grain Insight, an update from CN.